sorry, I was just waiting for them to finish doing the alarm test that happens at this time every week. Hello, and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. We are looking at Galatians chapter 4, and this is an old message entitled, God Sent His Son, based on Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Uh, Just for some context, this is a Christmas message that I preached back in December of 2012. So God sent his son based on Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Our Bible passage this afternoon is a classic Christmas text. It tells of how God sent Jesus to be born as a baby, taking on our humanity. We'll get to that in verse 4. But just to set things in context, it is important that we begin reading from verse 1. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the entire estate. The key phrase for us is to note how Paul says that the heir can be no different from a slave. Paul is describing someone who looks like he has everything, who he himself, he thinks he owns everything. But in reality, he is no different from a slave. Why? Verse 2 says that he is subject to guardians and trustees. Verse 3 tells us that he is enslaved by the basic principles of the world. He is a slave. This guy isn't free. Now, Paul is not talking about sin. That's important to realize as the slavery which Paul describes in these verses is not addiction to some kind of destructive behavior. That kind of slavery is obvious. You can see it in your own life. And you may or may not realize this, but your friends can see it as well. That kind of bondage or addiction to sin is obvious. But the slavery that Paul is describing here is not sin because this kind of slavery looks respectable. In verse 1, he gives us a picture of the heir who owns the whole estate. Literally, it reads, the Lord of all. This guy has everything. Do you know anyone like that? And who has all the money in the world, who has the car, the girl, all the looks, the smarts? Paul says this guy might have it all. But in reality, he is no different at all from the slave who is forced to clean his toilet. The thing is, Paul isn't being hypothetical. He might be using an illustration in verse 3, but he makes it crystal clear. He's applying that illustration to us as Christians. He's saying it's possible for us as Christians to be saved, but still live like we are lost. It's possible for us as believers to be sons and act like slaves. Verse 3. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Did you get that? 
when we were children, when we were in slavery. That's Paul's introduction to the Christmas message. And his point is this. It is possible for us as Christians to make a big deal out of Christmas. And yet, and yet, be absolutely clueless about the Christmas message. It's possible, and in fact, I'd say that's very, very likely that some of us have turned up here today thinking this Christmas stuff, it's for someone else. And we think it because we've done it so many times before. We know everything there is to know about Christmas. Christmas is for kids. Christmas is for the newcomers. Christmas is kind of boring. That's what we think. But in reality, Paul says to us, the real reason why you've lost that wonder over the message of the gospel is because you're like that heir who is no different from the slave. Your friends might look at you and go, that guy, he has everything or she is my role model. But the truth is your life isn't one of freedom. It is one of slavery. I got my haircut this week and struck up a conversation about Christmas with my barber, who is a Jehovah's Witness. And the thing you need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses is that they don't believe that Jesus is God. So they don't believe in the Christmas message that Jesus was God become man through the incarnation. So my friend, the barber, doesn't celebrate Christmas. In fact, he doesn't even celebrate his own birthday. When I asked him what his plans were for Christmas, whether he was going home, spending time with his family, he wasn't keen at all to talk about that. Christmas here in the UK is meaningless, he said. It's all about presents and buying things. It's not about Jesus. But then he pointed, he pointed to the Bible, which I'd place on the counter. He'd seen me reading it while I was waiting in line. I was, I was actually preparing for this message. And he was genuinely curious. He says, what is this, if you don't mind my asking? And I said, it's my Bible. Do you mind if I have a look at your Bible, he asked? <laughs> wow. In fact, he did more than take a look at it. He called out to his friends behind the counter and said, hey, come, 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 come and check this out. And he showed me what he was reading that morning for his devotional, which was Psalm 37. We even talked about his favorite passages from scripture, which were John 17 and Revelation chapter 21. As you can imagine, my haircut took a little longer than expected. And my hair was a little shorter than I expected as well. He was trying to tell me why he believed that Jesus was not God, was not divine. And I was trying to answer his objections about how the Bible pointed to Jesus as God. But I also wanted to try and steer the conversation back to Christmas. You know, here is a guy who's keen to talk about God. He was enthusiastic about the Bible. He had a high view of Jesus, but he had a big problem, a big problem with Jesus being God coming to be born as a baby. So I finally said to him, I, I know we disagree on this one thing. You say Jesus wasn't God. I think the Bible says that Jesus is God. 
But what would it mean if Jesus was God? I, I know you don't think so, but just consider, humor me for a moment. If Jesus is God, then what Christians are really saying is that God died on the cross. You know, that's the, that's the biggest difference between you and me. If God died on the cross, then it means God had to become a man. Then it means God had to be born as a baby. You see, Paul is trying to get to that same point, that same point when he is talking about Christmas. He's trying to get to the cross. The reason why God sent Jesus 2,000 years ago is not just so that he'll be born as a baby. It is so that Jesus could die as a man on the cross for our sins. In other words, the reason for Christmas is actually the cross. So verse four, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, most people, they only ever hear verse four, you know, God sent his son, born of a woman. But it's actually verse five that tells us why God sent Jesus, why Jesus was born of a woman. Verse five says, he did all this so that he could redeem those who were under the law. Now, if you remember, that's what the angel said to Joseph, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, most babies, they only do three things. They eat, they sleep, they poop. Babies are helpless. They cannot look after themselves. They need constant care and attention. But this baby, according to this angel, he will do something for us instead. He will save his people from their sins. And that's why Jesus was born. If you notice, Paul doesn't just say born of a woman. He also adds born of a woman and born under law. Now, why does he say that? Born under law. Born under woman, we understand. Isn't that what we hear every Christmas? Jesus was born as a baby. His parents were Mary and Joseph. And then we get all the kids <laughs> to dress up as the shepherds and come and see baby Jesus in the manger. We understand. We understand. We get it. That Christmas is about Jesus being born as a baby. We've heard it again and again on Christmas Day. God has sent his son born as a man, born of a woman. We get that. But why? Why? You see, that's the question that Paul is answering. Why did Jesus have to be born as born of a woman? Answer, because Jesus was entering our world, not as the heir, but as a slave. That's what being born under the law means. It means you're humbling yourself. It means Jesus was subjecting himself under God's law living in obedience to the law and ultimately taking upon himself the punishment of the law. That's why verse five begins to redeem those under law. Redeem simply means pay. You know, his life was a kind of payment and the law was a kind of bill <laughs> that we couldn't afford to pay ourselves. But Jesus took on that bill and he signed it on our behalf. Under the law, Jesus paid the price of our salvation. A few days ago, I went to see the musical Les Miserables. 
which tells the fictional story of Jean Valjean, a man locked up in jail for 19 years for stealing one loaf of bread. Upon his release from prison, he meets a bishop who offers him food and shelter, but Jean ends up stealing the silverware instead. Jean, he gets apprehended by the police, who brings him back in chains to the priest's home. But instead of charging Jean Valjean with the theft of the silverware, the bishop thrusts a couple of silver candlesticks into his hands. And he said this, You left so early. Something must have slipped your mind. You forgot I gave these to you also. What the bishop showed was much more than generosity. It was grace. It was grace. He gave Jean a second chance. God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God, said the bishop to Jean. When Jesus paid our debt on the cross, he did much more than just pick up the tab. He released us from slavery to become sons. Verse 5 again, to redeem us under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. At the end of the day, Paul is saying you're either a slave or an heir. It's either one or the other. Again, the kind of slavery Paul is talking about isn't chains and oppression and bondage. It's not that kind of slavery that's obvious. Rather, this slavery looks respectable. It looks proper from the outside. Over and against, you know, Jean Valjean's character in the musical Les Mis, you know, there's this other character called Inspector Javert. You know, he spends his life searching for this escaped convict. Yet in a pivotal scene in a musical, Jean risks his life to save the inspector from being executed. And this inspector, he cannot comprehend how a criminal he's despised all his life would come to his aid, come to his salvation. Instead of gratitude, the experience fills the inspector with grief and with hatred. Damned if I'll live in the debt of a thief, he says. Damned if I'll yield at the end of the chase. I am the law and the law is not mocked. I spit his pity back in his face. There is nothing on earth that we share. It is either Valjean or Javert. (laughs) It's a good musical. Unable to deal with the conflict in his soul, Javert takes his own life by jumping off a bridge. And you might say to me, and that's just so silly. (laughs) Why would anyone be so broken up about the law? You know, it's a bunch of rules, you know, of all things. Why would you be so upset about the law? Well, for Javert, it was this thing called the law. But I put it to you, for many students here in Cambridge, it's their degree. And for many parents, it's their children. 
For many Asians, it's respect, it's status in the community. We're not talking about something that's bad or destructive in and of itself. Rather, it's something that we have built our entire lives on over and against God. It's that thing or that person or that accomplishment, which Paul is describing in Galatians. And I think it's a kind of slavery, kind of slavery that happens a lot in a city like Cambridge. What Jesus did in coming to be born on Christmas day was to take our humanity. Yes, but it's also to take our slavery. He was born under law so that when he died on the cross, he would take that full penalty of the law. Now, when you understand slavery in that way, what Jesus did to free us from that slavery, then you begin to see that people react to the message of Christmas in either one of two ways. Either they're freed from that slavery by trusting in Jesus, or sadly, like Inspector Javert, they would rather die the slave than live in gratitude to the one who freed them. This means determining whether you are a slave or an heir. You know, it's not as simple as asking, am I free? <laughs> you can't just ask yourself, how blessed do I feel today? After all, you know, Paul, you know, he begins with this heir and this heir thinks he has everything. But in reality, Paul says he is no different, no different from a slave meaning it's easy to fool yourself into thinking, you know, you're one or the other, either out of pride or out of self-pity. No, the real test is your response to God's grace in Jesus Christ. The real test is to look at the cross, to see there a man that's hanging in agony, bearing the full weight of God's anger and say, that's what I deserve. But thank you, Jesus, that you came, you paid the price I could never have paid on my own. Some of you, you are terrified at the idea of doing something like that because you think it's a con. It's a, it's a, it's a ploy that Christians use to get you to feel miserable about your sin. You're afraid that if you let yourself be vulnerable, even for a moment, you know, even before God, you know, he's going to point a finger at you and say, ah, I got you. If that's you, then just listen. Listen to what Paul says next, because he tells us that God sends the Spirit to help us, to cry out to Him, more than just a master, more than just a judge. He wants us to call Him our dad, our dad, verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. God helps us to turn to him every step of the way. First, he sends his son to die for us on the cross. Then he sends the spirit of his son to call him father. Why does he do that? precisely because it is not enough to know that we are no longer slaves. We need to be reassured that we are his sons. If you are able to pray to God and to call him your father, 
Here is that word of assurance from the Bible that says to you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God enabling you to do just that, to call him your father. The point is, God doesn't want slaves. He loves us as sons. He loves us to such an extent that he sent his own son to die on the cross for us. It means he's not looking for you to prove yourself. He loves you. It means he isn't looking for you to make up for your mistakes. He, he's already forgiven you in Christ on the cross. It means that in Jesus Christ, God became a man. The son humbled himself as a slave. The author of life suffered death. The sinless one became sin. The one who made the law was born under the law to redeem those who are under that law in order that we, together with Jesus, might receive the full blessings of God as our Father and us as His sons. Born that man may no more die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Thank you for listening. This has been God sent his son, a message based on Galatians chapter four, verses one to seven. Take care and God bless.